This is The Art Life. Hello, I'm Grace Gordon, actress and activist and maximalist, and I am so happy to be here today with Zondra Robinson Burns, the writer, the protagonist, the minimalist, the founder of Heroin Training, and uh, my friend. We're here to talk today about minimalism for artists, and I can just say that I'm so excited because I have a lot to learn on this subject, so I'm so glad that I have an expert minimalist here on the show to uh, share with me all about what minimalism for artists would be. Hi, Zandra. <laughs> Hey, this is a dream come true to talk about this topic. I thought you'd never ask. I I am really excited because, I, I mean, we are opposites in this way, and I feel like I have a lot to learn. And I watched a, a Netflix documentary about minimalism on my, air, on my airplane back home today. So now that I've landed, I get to ask you some questions. <laughs> but uh, before we get started talking all things minimalism – I first have to ask you, Zandra, how is your art life? My art life is simply feeling good. I and actually this this story comes from TikTok of all places. I joined TikTok and you're thriving there. <laughs> I found my people. Mm-hmm. All of the I have been practicing literary witchcraft on TikTok doing Taylor Swift readings every day. And TikTok is is the place where people with very niche interests collide. So I'm gathering my Swifty witches, um, of which I'm learning there are many. So I'm excited to meet them. And as I've been just playing around with TikTok and seeing what works, I was expecting this to be a process of like, okay, what's the strategy? What's the format? How long should I do my TikToks for? Like what hashtag should I use? And you can hear in my voice just how excited I am about that. (laughs) And actually what I discovered was that the TikToks that perform well are the ones where I'm feeling good. Mm. That's it. It's a platform where people really pick up on your energy and are there to decide like who they vibe with, And so the best thing I can do to have a successful TikTok is is just make sure that I am feeling good, like take care of myself throughout the day, all all day, every day. And uh, this this works for not just TikTok, by the way. It has fed into other areas of my life. So my art life is just doing whatever I need to to take care of myself and feel good. It does apply to all areas, and I'm it, that's I'm so glad you said that because yes, that's true about you know the process of making art or just spending time with people or anything, right? The outcome's so much better when you're feeling good in the process. But it's been really cool, can I just say, to watch you experiment with and find your niche on TikTok because we've talked on the show for years about you know social media and your complicated relationship to it. And it's really cool to see something be fun for you. Yeah, thank you. It is. I, I should say I'm Zandra the Witch on TikTok. So come hang out with me. But yeah, we could have a whole we could have a whole episode about social media and what I've learned about myself through that. But Grace, I want to know how's your art life? 
my art life is, I guess my art life is coming home. Mm-hmm. Um, I just went to Philly. I just got back today from my hometown, Philadelphia. I was there for like five days. I had not been home in almost three years, which is so wow. long for me. Before that, living in LA for a few years before that, I still went home like at least three times a year. So it was a huge change for me to not be home for so long. And it was like intimidating to come back for some reason. And um, I had a really, really good time. I stayed with my old podcast co-host Sawyer and uh, my friend Lori. And I saw all the kids that I that I babysat for my years growing up with them in Philly, um, some of whom are off to college now. Uh, what? <laughs> I got to see all the art people have been making too, like my babysitting kids and friends showing me short films they've been making, fine art they've been making, what book projects they're working on. Like I got such an awesome art update from all my loved ones. And yeah, it just felt really grounding. So it was coming home and coming home to myself, coming home to my like chosen family friends. It was just really inspiring. I love the term art update and I'm going to keep that in my pocket for (laughs) when I go visit people. Did you reach some resolution with the intimidation? Did you figure out what that was about and did, did that unfold somehow? Well, I mean, a big part of it is family stuff. I was not there to see any family. So that's like a hurdle. But it's also just been so long. Like I've been to Connecticut, I've been to New York, I've been to other places in the past three years that I spent a significant time at growing up. And this was just so long to not be in my hometown. And it over the years, it's become like this vicious cycle of like not wanting to go for one day when I happened to be in New York. Like I felt like I needed to dedicate like time to being in Philly. Um, so then making time and, you know, putting aside money to go just for a dedicated Philly trip. It just, I got really in my head around it, about it um, over the past few years. And so I think just like finally making the trip happen, getting the timing right, it was, it, you know, it, it became like a, a big thing in my head. And the second, I really realized how, how, um, intimidated I was or stressed out I was the day before when I was packing. It wasn't until I was packing that I was like planning my outfits really stressy and, um, (laughs) you know, like rethinking the outfits and going, no, like I have to look this way. I have to be this person. And I paused for a second and was like, oh, Grace, you're stressed. Like you are fixating on what costume you're gonna wear (laughs) like like you need to chill but also okay like noted um and the second I landed though and my friend Sawyer picked me up like I felt amazing so soon as I was there it was great and and um yeah I'm just I'm just feeling more like myself and so proud of all my artist babies and all the cool things they're doing I'm so happy for you thank you outfits never lie that's right that's right. It was a good week of fashion on top of everything else. Yes. Grace, I'm just, I want to take a moment and thank you for sharing this vulnerability around what it feels like to go home because I feel it too. 
Mm. And I think it's, there's, we put, we build up this expectation in our heads around like, it should feel normal. It should feel comfortable and safe. Like this should be the most comfortable place to go home to. But actually it's like returning to a former stage of your life. And (laughs) yeah, it's, it it is a big deal. So I just want to thank you for bringing that up. And if anyone listening to this is resonating with it as well, know that, yeah, this is, this is complicated. This, This can feel complicated. That's okay. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that because of course you understand. How long have you been living, you know, in a different continent, by the way, from your hometown? Well, 13 years, wow. but I will say as well, I feel this way about moving across town in mm-hmm. Edinburgh um, like four, three, three or four years ago. Like when I go to my old neighborhood and there's a new cafe there that I don't know, I'm like, who are you? This is really blowing my mind because you are right. I think that's a big part of it, what you said about a different you. Um, mm-hmm. I, my, I think, you know, in the years prior when I was going home frequently, I was more one foot in Philly, one foot in L.A. You know, I was still in the early years of living here and, and adjusting, and it really felt like my life was on the East Coast. And I was new to L.A., and now I really live here. You know, mm-hmm. my life is here. I've got a a a, co- a collaborator actually on the East Coast moving out here to the West Coast. Like everything's coming to the West Coast. Everything's settled in. And I'm, I'm certainly very different as well. You know, three years of world events and personal events that have caused me to grow and evolve and change. And I think that is a big part of it, especially seeing people who I, who've known me since I was – so young, you know, like everyone I spent time with. Oh, wow. That's wild. Everyone I spent time with while I was there has known me for at least 10 years. So that's awesome because I saw my favorite people, but I am very different than, you know, when they met me <laughs> and and it's been a while. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate what you just said because, because you understand, but that idea of I'm visiting an old me I'm a different me like there it's just complicated yeah yeah Yeah. Mm. well life is complicated Sandra and in, (laughs) in, in many ways it's good to simplify where we can um are you so proud of that segue like I am You know, I'm thinking even about like how minimalism was a big part. Like that was a part of my life that I adopted to move to the UK. Of course. That's where it started. Yeah. I mean, I'm that was the, yeah, the first question I was going to ask you. I mean, we have joked on this show for years about the, you know, I'm a night owl, you're an early bird dynamic. I'm a maximalist, you're a minimalist, but I really don't know that much about the minimalism movement about what that like looks like in your daily life so I I wanted to start just by asking exactly what you started to say which is like when did you when did you start your minimalism journey like has this always been what you it has not always been okay so tell so start us off when did it start well I learned about minimalism on the internet I was a an avid reader of Zen Habits, Leo Babauta's blog, 
And I was just very much a, what we would call a lurker these days of just drinking in somebody else writing about their life and thinking, well, that's nice, but Mm. never thinking I could possibly apply it to my own life. And then I had this dream goal of mine to move across the pond and study at Oxford. And as this goal got closer and closer and it started to feel real, I realized the practicalities of this, of moving back and forth across the ocean three times a year for three years, I can't have so much stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't want that to be the focus. Um, I have so many other things ahead of me, like experiences and I decided, okay, this is something that I need to change in my life to accommodate, to like make room for this more important thing that I want. So I, I decided to give it a go. And by the time I was moving to Oxford, I, I just had like the carry-on allowance or like what, the baggage allowance for two suitcases and a carry-on. Um, and that's what I, I moved to England with. So that's my minimalism origin story. There is the origin story. And so it was new when you, I guess, started at Oxford. And mm-hmm. and you were able to like maintain that when you decided to stay in the UK. Yeah, I I kind of had this, this enforced boot camp in minimalism just based on the strange circumstances of my college where you had to move out of your room for every break, like you had to completely clear stuff out. And so my friends who lived locally, their parents would come and they'd fill up the car with all their stuff and their mini fridges and everything. And as an international student, all of that stuff would have to come on the airplane with me. Wow. So (laughs) I had some like storage bins that they gave international students, but I had this cleansing ritual at the end of every term where I had to really assess, like pack up my entire room and decide what was coming home with me, what what I would donate. And I really got clear on what I needed and what I was holding on to just to cling to things. Um, mm. And it was funny. I, I had had this relationship with my friends where they would be like I don't know how you how you live like this like how how do you not have so much stuff and then when it came to this part of the year of packing up all of your stuff they're like oh I get it I get why you do that mm-hmm. and what was that like as a as an avid reader who usually I assume usually surrounds herself with books at first I called myself a minimalist except books love it <laughs> that's I, I can at least take a, a sigh of relief that, that the thought <laughs> that that's an option. <laughs> it is an option. But I will say I've only very recently truly parted with that label. And um, I've, I've cleansed my bookshelf, my home library in layers. So mm-hmm. I got rid of a bunch of books and then I reorganized it. And then I looked at it again and was like, I can do more. And I realized my, my bookshelf is as minimal as it's ever been. And I have been reading more because I noticed that I was holding on to a lot of books that were just making me feel really guilty for not reading them or not rereading them. 
And I realized I can give these books away. I can put them in my lending library, give them to people who want to read them now, who are excited to read them now. If I do want to read that book in the future, I can buy a new copy. Mm -hmm. I can get a new copy from the library. A friend can lend me a copy. It's so easy to get books. And when I only have the ones that I'm so excited to read, I've found myself feeling more liberated to visit my bookshelf and read a few pages of a book and put it back on the shelf and just kind of explore because the energy has been clear. It's just, it's a, it's a fun place now. I love that. And I mean, it makes sense. Books are meant to be read and you're like releasing them back to, into the hands and the eyes of people who will appreciate them in the moment. And it's funny because you say books are meant to be read and, and I'm like, yes, but also I, I do hold on to books that I, I don't pick up and read. Like you gave me How to Do Nothing. Mm, great book. I cannot get rid of that book, but I also, it's not a book that I pick up and flip through. I just like that it's there. Yeah, I think like something I definitely learned from the minimalism documentary I watched in preparation and just something from talking to you already is like it's it's about really having more attention for, for what's important to you or yeah. like really having the opportunity to figure out what is important to you. Like they said in the minimalism documentary, they actually did talk about books. Like if you're a collector – of books and that that's what's really you know special to you and that's what makes you happy like you can still do that but focus your attention there and don't you know make the rest of your life about collecting and consuming because that other stuff probably isn't important to you so I love the idea that you're like no 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 there's 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 a handful of books that I'm not rereading but they're really really special and I want to keep them on my shelf and I'm like great you know they're special because you're choosing to keep them because you're doing that inquiry about what's important to you yeah yeah everything has has meaning I wouldn't even say purpose Mm. just meaning and when you make a decision that I am only letting things stay in my home that I absolutely love that is meaningful to me then the way that you treat those things the way that you line them up on the shelf with care is just really, is really nice. And it's such a different intent than like, oh, I know I have so many books. I probably shouldn't keep this entire box set that I might not reread, but like, I want to, okay? So it's there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just having the sense of certainty in yourself of like, this is, this falls within my definition of minimalism. This is part of my dream life. Like, this is not up for discussion. Mm, I love that. So part of the reason I was excited to talk about this on the show was, you know, this being the art life, doing a more art life slant on minimalism. I'm really interested in, like, what it means to be an artist who is a minimalist. So do you feel like minimalism has improved your art? How has it impacted your your art making? It is my art making. Mm. Like it's it's all it's all part of the same thing. It's part of the process. It's part of the it's part of the result. Like the art itself, it's it's just always there. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. 
which is that like when I'm feeling like I don't know what to make or I don't know what to say, I'll clean up my house in cleaning up the clutter in my home. I'm also cleaning up the clutter in my mind and that's making space for new ideas to arrive or for ideas to come together. And then mm-hmm. of course there's there's editing. Like once you get the the downloads of all of the exciting ideas that you want to put out there, you do need to refine it and decide and crystallize it into a format that is what that fully represents what you want to express. Oof, I just got chills. <laughs> That like really landed for me. I was like, ah, oh, yes, yes. Now I understand. (laughs) It's editing. You see? see? Yeah, it's just getting your your messaging clear. (laughs) I love that so much. So like as I was asking you this, by the way, I'm Mm -hmm. surrounded by like my stacks of markers and knitting supplies and all kinds of art supplies. And I mean, you're a writer, but you do all sorts of art. You do, you know, music and collage and write in all kinds of beautiful notebooks. So um, I was wondering, like, what what about minimalism of creative supplies? Like, what's your what's your relationship with uh, the intersection of, you know, wanting to keep only what's important or what's meaningful and loving tools to make your art? I would love to talk about this because (laughs) I love art supplies and I love my method. So uh, as I'm standing in my studio, I have, I have these six Starbucks mugs that represent the six main parts of the world that I've lived since we were talking about that. Mm -hmm. And each one is chock full of extra pens. So I've got a full Virginia mug of my favorite Muji highlighters. I have a full Ohio mug of my favorite Muji erasable pens and so on and so forth. Each of these mugs is like, this is my store, my personal stationery store. And then in the other rooms of my house, I have a little special mug that has one of each. So minimalism to me is having an abundance of pens in a very neat and tidy location that when I'm running out of ink in a pen, I have a replacement immediately. I love that you, you said, um, you know, it's, it's about making things meaningful or Mm -hmm. keeping only what is meaningful. And then you're like, well, I keep my art supplies in these six different mugs. It all represents somewhere that I've lived. And like, it's just, it's such a beautiful example of exactly that. The mugs, you know, and w- that are holding your writing supplies are also meaningful symbols of your life. The, they're also each on a Marvelous Mrs. Maisel coaster that you gave me. Oh, well, oh my goodness. Meaning upon meaning. Meaning upon meaning. <laughs> but like for somebody else, their idea of minimalism might be like, well, when my pen runs out of ink, that is a sign from the universe that I need to take a break from writing and walk to the stationery store to buy exactly one new pen to replace it with. <laughs> and like, that's how we, we all interpret things differently. That's a great point. Yeah, you must do, like when you are reading about minimalism or if you continue to um, or watch videos about it, like you must run into all sorts of people who are doing it differently 
like mm-hmm. completely differently. So what is that like? How do you also discern? Yeah. What is for you? What is not for you on this path? I don't even think about that anymore in terms of like the comparison, mm. because what this practice means for me is, is it's, it's less about like having less stuff and it's more about having exactly what works for me and trusting that I can make that decision. I get more self-conscious about artists who resist minimalism (laughs) than minimalists who like have different standards than I do. I remember there's a part in Austin Kleon's book where he's like, Marie Kondo's way doesn't work for artists. And I'm like, Wait, oh, rough, rough, Austin <laughs> Cleon. <laughs> like, no, Austin, I believe in you. And I'm like, does that mean I'm not an artist? And then I'm like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, back up. But like, it's just finding your your own way. And I get what he's saying about like an artist needs supplies and like random stuff around them. And I have random stuff around me, but it's just contained. I have this one box that I use for my collage materials because I love to collage. And I limit all of my scraps to that one box. I found that it doesn't, like if at one point I had two boxes Mm -hmm. and I realized there was like this whole stack of images I just was never looking at because it's so buried, I can't access it. So an artist needs inspiring images to play with but they also those images need to be able to breathe there needs to be room for them to to like spread out and stuff so I really enjoy the process of like when a new copy of British Vogue comes and I want to put it in my collage box I have to make room by deciding what I'm done with I'm really happy that you brought up like in this part you brought up the decision learning how to make those choices a few times Mm. because one of my questions was actually do you feel like minimalism made you a more decisive person in other parts of your life yes yeah I notice when I get in a a minimalism spree I just have this stronger sense of self and you and I did an exercise together for the um, eclipse season We were texting back and forth. You you mentioned something about minimalism, and I was like, oh, "Really?" And you inspired. I'm like, if if Grace can, if Grace is interested in minimalism, <laughs> it's time for a resurgence for me. So I was trying to like come up with a thing to do to honor the eclipse, and I didn't want to do like something tasky or like nothing was feeling right. And so I decided, 111 is a magical number. I'm going to discard 111 things. And I just set myself that challenge knowing that there are 111 things I can get rid of. So I texted you pictures of piles and updates and then you did it too. Yes. I loved that little challenge. Eclipses like astrologically are a good time to let go of things. And so it was like, you know, it was relevant to the conversations we were having about eclipse season in general. And yeah, it was cool to also to, you know, Um, be interested in something that you're so passionate about and you came up with this wonderful task like that you were so excited about and I did I got rid of 111 things as well I made a little TikTok about it and um and it was just it 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 did feel cleansing you know just to like the the tangible letting go at the right time 
Um, and I was, I was totally inspired to do more rounds of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like the outfit thing, Mm -hmm. how our physical (laughs) objects cue us to more emotional or spiritual attachments that are murkier and harder to, um, are harder to see as something you can put in the bin or or keep holding on to keep carrying in your luggage yeah and I mean look we talk so much on this show about mental health and you know art and mental health are very much related our lifestyle choices and mental health are very much related and of course I am so interested in like the mental health benefits of minimalism for you It's definitely my go-to thing when I don't know what to do with myself. And that feeling of I don't know what to do with myself comes in different amplifications. And lately in my life, it's, it's pretty tame. But years ago, when I had really intense depression, that feeling was, was pervasive of, Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do with myself. And it's just something that has always brought me some kind of peace. Like as a kid, I loved cleaning my room Mm -hmm. and I wasn't yet at the stage of like decluttering my room. I would just move the objects around into different positions, but it's just always something that I have found very soothing to use my hands and touch the objects that I own, make decisions about, yeah, you're right. Decision making keeps coming up. And I think mm-hmm. it's just a, an easier thing to make decisions about than the the more complex stuff that's going on in our heads. Something that I find is a pattern when I I have these mindful tidy ups is I will experience resistance at first where I'm like, oh, but I, I love all of my things. I don't want to make myself get rid of things that I love. And then when I actually open up that drawer or clean out my fridge and realize what's actually in there, I'm like, oh, I don't need that receipt anymore. Oh, that food has expired. And I've just been afraid to face the fact that I let food expire, <laughs> but it's, it's sitting there. And so like, I realize how much garbage I am holding on to without realizing it. Like the perfect example, when I did um, the minimalist game, it was like getting rid of 365 things. Oh. Um, so it's like on day one, get rid of one thing. Day two, get rid of two things. Oh. So wait, so every day is the, you keep upping the number? Yeah. So on the last day, you have to get rid of 365 things? I can't remember like how many days you're supposed to do it for. Maybe it's like 30 days or something. But Oh, okay. By the time you get to the higher numbers, you realize like, oh, I can get rid of this entire stack of papers. And that's like Mm -hmm. 50 things. I love it. It's however you choose to quantify it. Yeah, I I think I think Lori Kim did a similar challenge um, a few years ago. I remember her blogging about doing uh, like 100 things a day or something like that. And I thought that was really intriguing because I'm sure you build momentum as well. Um, You know, the more you do, the more you realize you can do. (laughs) Yeah, I. The thing about these challenges of like getting rid of a certain number of things, I am very careful to say, like, if that's exciting for you, 
then do it. But minimalism is very much not about counting your things. <laughs> like if if having a certain number of objects or getting rid of a certain number of objects is really the thing that you're fixating on, then I would encourage you to let go of that because um, it it really doesn't matter. I have a lot of pens. Yeah, I'm really happy. I'm really happy you said that because I am definitely the kind of person who will like hyper fixate on a number. Like I'm yeah. supposed to do it this way and 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 totally lose sight of the purpose of the exercise or the purpose of the life change. And this is something I, you know, I, I can really struggle with, but I'm aware of now. And it, you know, it shows up in a lot of ways. Like we've even talked on this show. We had like a an episode called A Hundred Books a Year about like I read a hundred books a year, but we 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 not debated, but you know, discussed the the pros and cons of having those kind of number goals. And there are definitely cons, you know, even for the ones that I'm sticking to. And so I think it's a really, it's a really good reminder, like, and, or lesson for people like me who are learning about minimalism, that it's not actually about just like hitting a hundred items that you own total or anything. It's about, it's about the the purpose of the whole thing, what it means. Right. Yeah. Cause, cause then like, then what it's like, Oh, I only own a hundred objects. Well, Here's your certificate. Oh no, now mm-hmm. I own 101. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> now that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. You couldn't possibly accept. I've learned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a great point. I mean, I I just remember like over the years also loving the stories of you like changing up your space as different things became important to you, like changing up your living space and how minimalism must be a big part of that. Like, you know, the the intention you put behind how your apartment is set up and the changes it goes through. It's not about, again, like owning a certain number of items. It's about the intention. Like I remember when you moved some part of your apartment, you you altered it or, or changed it for being some kind of set up to like a movie watching, like a cinema watching area. And you were very yeah. excited about it. Yeah. So is, is home like design and home decor something that excites you in this process? It, it helps me feel like I can do it because when I watch YouTube or interior shows, it's a lot of like finding knickknacks that look good and and arranging them and I'm like uh, I, I don't know how to do that mm. but when I use the objects that I've already selected as important to me as decor then I'm like oh this feels right I, I can do this and actually I've talked about the cinema before but the the latest example of this is in on my bookshelf I have a lot of empty space on my bookshelf now because I got rid of all of my guilt books and I've decided to arrange it like a bookshop. So ah. I have, <laughs> I've spun the covers around so that I have like little displays with the a book fanned out as if it's like the bestseller. Adorable. It is. I have a feeling people might be able to relate to this. So get ready. <laughs> have you ever looked at your own bookshelf and been like, oh my gosh, I have so much to read. My TBR pile. And then you go to a bookshop or to a really beautiful library and you're like so inspired to read those other books. 
No, I can't relate to that. I honestly, I really, can't. yeah, no, really? no, I don't. I don't ever buy books or look at them or read. Even I'm not really much of a reader. I definitely you know what a bookshop is. <laughs> the, I'm like, the, wait, I'm Grace, about, I don't oh. think you're understanding. You can like get leave your house and go to like these rooms that are just full of books. I'm just thinking about how today, how I packed for my Philly trip so tightly like I just packed a tiny little carry-on bag for like five or six days and everyone's always so impressed by how light I pack but it's because I travel so much I just have a, a good system you know like I just really know how much I'm gonna use and I packed so tight though that it was like the the knitting um yarn Lori gave me like just barely fit for the way back and yet an hour before I got on my flight still managed to go to the bookstore I worked in when I was a teen and buy a book even though I did not have room for it and I was so intentional about not even having room for books but you know loading stuff up on my iPad for this reason but no I still found a way (laughs) yeah it's a thing (laughs) and I just I encourage you and everyone listening to enjoy that process of picking up a book and buying it and Here's the thing. I've noticed I either, when I get a new book, I either read it immediately or it sits on my shelf for years. Mm-hmm. Ooh, pain. Wow. <laughs> Yikes. You are so right. Like, it's okay if it sits on your shelf for years. It's okay if you buy a book and then decide to never read it and give it away. Make somebody else's day. Like the, the book as an object serves some sort of purpose for you. You don't have to have read every word of every acknowledgement to have like completed the book Mm -hmm. yeah I mean it's I I really wasn't expecting this but this is so much a process over product conversation Mm. you know it's well just like just the this isn't about like crossing something off a list so it looks a certain way on the outside right it's about really being present for what's in front of you and really focusing on how it feels, like even yeah. the way you're talking about reading. Mm-hmm. Are there other ways that it like affects that minimalism affects? I guess the way that you consume art, like your experiences of films or books. Let's talk about music. Okay, yeah, because I have a CD player. Yes, you do. I don't need to have a CD player. I don't need to dedicate a drawer to physical cds i have a spotify subscription i have a really nice bluetooth speaker i don't need that i have a cassette player (laughs) none of these things are necessary if we're if we're measuring minimalism by how many items we have or how much how much space stuff takes up um, i don't need that but for me it feels like the right thing because there's something very simple about waking up in the morning using my hands to feel which CD jewel case is calling to me on that particular day, opening it up and putting the disc in my CD player rather than doing another thing on my phone and scrolling into the ether of every song, almost every song ever, which feels very like an overwhelm of choice. Mm -hmm. So something about having my physical curated music station feels more minimalist to me even though it takes up 
more room. So it just gets me thinking about like, what is taking up room? Mm. Is it a physical object or is it the possibility of endless songs to (laughs) get through? So another question I was really curious about was like, as this became a priority for you, as this became a lens that you see the world through, like in the way you're talking about music right now, I was really wondering how your consumption of like TV and movies changed. Specifically, I mean like watching other people be hoarders is a harsh word, (laughs) but like, you know, like watching a lot of materialism or like just meaningless consumption. Like, how has minimalism changed your experience of that happening in front of you in art? Like, if I'm watching Gilmore Girls? Yeah. Like that was actually one thing that came to mind. No, it really was. not And not just books, but just stuff in general. <laughs> like characters, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I will say there is something very minimal about how stylized television is. Mm, yeah. I just rewatched the To All the Boys trilogy, and Lara Jean has a very messy lifestyle, but everything is blue and yellow and yes, pink. Yes, it is, <laughs> and it looks wonderful together. Um, I will also say there's a great tidying up montage in those films. So that's one of my favorite cinematic tropes. Mm-hmm. You're like, I don't need a makeover. I need you to clean. (laughs) Give me a cleaning montage. (laughs) Like she's, we were talking about this a few minutes ago and she is like going through heartbreak and doesn't know what to do with herself. And that's when she finally gets up and puts stuff in boxes and reorganizes her room. I love this so much. I'm just imagining you watching to all the boys and being like, yes, yes, yes. clear it out, girl, (laughs) clear it out. (laughs) Yeah, I am like that annoying person in the cinema being like, tidy. Right. It's like someone watching a boxing movie. It's like a Rocky (laughs) training montage. Like it gives you the same power up that Rocky training montage gives other people. Beautiful. That is my learning from today's episode. <laughs> That's so cool. I mean, I was like, I, I the when I was writing that question, it was I was thinking of. I mean, I'm a I'm a maximalist, but I'm a very political person. The way that what I see the world is through that lens, um, an anti-capitalist, anarchist lens specifically, and that means that sometimes my appreciation for certain like film and TV is obstructed maybe by those values because mm-hmm. like the thing that comes up for me sometimes is like the the movie crazy rich asians which yes. is like beautiful to look at like the their chemistry is amazing the characters are amazing but i really really struggled to enjoy that movie because just like the excess and just you know the obsession over wealth makes me uncomfortable and it isn't something I like can relate to. And so like when I was writing the question, that's kind of what I was thinking about, even though it's not a minimalism thing for me. It's like, you know, it's just outside of my values enough that it makes me uncomfortable. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if Zandra feels this way watching certain shows or, or movies. Like if you get that like Ugh, <laughs> feeling. Yes and no, because there is part of me 
that appreciates this in other people. Mm-hmm. I choose not to live this way, but I love that somebody else does and that I get to see how pretty it is. Yeah. So that's that can be part of it. But the other thing is I notice that when something makes me uncomfortable in a movie, it is usually because I, I don't want to relate to it. Hmm. And a part of me does. Hmm. I am more bothered in Gilmore Girls by the mention of Marie Kondo in the revival than I am of any of the, like, isn't Lorelai a charming hoarder (laughs) moments because they kind of make this correlation for Emily about, like, are you actually doing this KonMari method or are you just getting rid of all of your things because you're grieving? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a lot to unpack there. You had some resistance. Yeah. I was like mad because I felt like, oh, you're misinterpreting Marie Kondo or like you're like not doing her method justice. Right. You're misrepresenting. Right. So there's like there that's part of it. But there is also that question of like, is this ever unhealthy? Mm. How do you know that line for yourself between like, getting rid of things is cleansing and healing. Um, But there is going to be a certain point where like you can't lean on that one method as the one way to heal yourself either. Like it it needs to happen in other areas of your life too. Yeah. That's really powerful. And I think that's also just a really like, like thank you for sharing that. Cause I think that's a, a, such a true statement in a lot of parts of life is like the thing we Mm -hmm. have resistance to is, not always, you know, but often like the things we feel resistance about or a trigger around or something because we're seeing a bit of ourselves or, you know, looking at something that, you know, it more makes us examine us in a way that's uncomfortable. Yeah, that's a really good point. So we have been talking about TikTok, by the way, and we've been, I, you know, I sort of mentioned at the beginning of the show, like the struggles that you have had with different social media platforms and, you know, just like not enjoying them. And, um, I was I actually don't know. So like is is digital minimalism a thing? Is that something yes, that's is. discussed? Okay, so can you tell me yes, about that cuz that's been on my mind as well. Yeah, digital minimalism is wild. And here's the thing. I'm just going to cut right to the like punchline here. Um it's impossible. <laughs> mm. So back in the uh like early 2010s when I was reading minimalism blogs online, the way that digital data is stored um, was very different than than how it is today. Like we're talking about Spotify and streaming. It used to be like clear out your iTunes library. What digital MP3 files do you have? But companies like Apple have gotten a lot smarter about understanding digital clutter and making it harder for us to declutter it. Mm. So your iPhone photo library is not meant to be tidy. Like they design it so that you're going to have to keep upgrading your iCloud storage. Wow. So um, don't try too hard (laughs) to like, I think the best example of this is um, going through and like decluttering the number of people you follow on Instagram. Yeah. It feels good at first and then you realize you can't ever win at that if you're following zero people mm-hmm. instagram is smart and they'll know to 
suggest more people for you to follow. They'll fill the let the fewer people you follow, the more ads you see. I was gonna say half of my Instagram feed is just ads I don't want anyway. So unfollowing yeah. people isn't gonna do that much. Yeah. So it this is a, a perfect example of that. Like it will feel good to say I'm gonna unfollow a hundred people. You'll get that immediate that instant gratification of having unfollowed 100 people, but where did it really get you? Mm -hmm. As I am, I will say here very quietly, entertaining the idea of returning to Instagram. That was a whisper. No one heard. (laughs) (laughs) You're here to hear first, folks. I I noticed the accounts that I'm following I, I am following 33 people right now, and I'm hardly ever on Instagram. But when I do log in, I feel like, oh, I'm not following that many people. I can, like, finish Instagram. Mm-hmm. I can see what everyone has posted. And even though I love all of these accounts that I'm following, that's not my goal in mm-hmm. being there. But something about how it's designed makes you feel like it is. Yeah. It's really interesting to point out like how a lot of the tech has changed, but also that it is intentionally designed to keep you following people, to keep your stuff, like your 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 photos um, building up. And, you know, it's like it's all designed to keep you in and to overwhelm you to some degree. Yeah, it is definitely designed to overwhelm you to make you to feed your anxiety and keep you wanting to return Mm -hmm. to that same source of um, of those little dopamine hits that will make you feel a little less anxious while also making you feel more anxious so it's a whole thing it's a whole thing but (laughs) where when it comes to minimalism it's what's more important I think is digital boundaries and knowing what your limits are. And I'm not saying put on a screen timer because Mm -hmm. I also find that to be, I personally find that to just be more guilt inducing Mm. because it's not about like, I only spend this many minutes on Instagram a day. It's having a sturdiness around your values of how you want to be spending your time. Do you know what I just said to a friend today that I am really excited about and nervous to start um enforcing is too hard a word but enforcing (laughs) um I I have so much anxiety about texts and dms I've talked about it on the show you know this like I just my communication style is not made for texts and dms Mm. and I really I struggle with this like even in my closest friendships I was explaining to a friend like Like, this isn't a personal thing. It's just how my brain works. I get, like, so flooded so fast from trying to communicate with people over text or DMs. And, you know, but sometimes it's like you have to communicate some important information or someone asks you a question or, you know, like it's not – it's hard for me to have a hard and fast rule about, like, only contact me for this – you know, for work, for example, on Instagram, it's my, my bio says like DMs for work only. I can't always enforce that because there are some, you know, th- there's still some gray area there communicating with people who's like, phone, you know, who don't, doesn't, don't have my phone number. It's complicated. Um, and so 
I decided that my new digital boundary for texts and DMs with with friends who know that this is a, a struggle area for me mentally, my new rule is um, sweet nothings or logistics. <laughs> and so, you know, if you got to send a text or DM, it's a baby animal pic or a work of mm. art or uh, I'm thinking of you, you wonderful little pistachio muffin. Um, I don't know. <laughs> or it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or it's um, you know, hey, can we meet at this time? Or what's your mailing address? <laughs> like, and 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 really, I don't want to catch up. I you know over texts, you know, like I don't, I definitely don't want to work through conflict. So, like, even when someone asks me, how are you, even a close friend, how are you over text, most of the time my brain fritzes out and I feel anxious. And that's just, that's just the way I am. It's the way my brain works, you know? Can we unpack that? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure we can. And I I mean, I, I, that, I'm sure that maybe more people feel like this than I'm realizing, you know, like maybe I, I just think this is a way that I. I don't know. Like I I feel like a freak cuz people are so chatty over these platforms and I feel like emotional shutdown when someone asks me how are you over text <laughs> even someone I really love. I don't know. So so yeah, the digital boundaries thing it's its own way form of minimalism and for me it is. It's like it's like how do I do this in a more meaningful way? How do I communicate in a more meaningful way cuz I know it's not fulfilling to me to just be in these never ending like text and DM threads, they're, they don't feel good. So, you know, if I have that rule of, of logistics and sweet nothings and then my friends know it's, it's that or it's let's actually get on the phone and talk, mm-hmm. you know, let's catch up for an hour or write a letter or, you know, if you, like if there's something you're working out that you want to vent to over email, you can also do that you know, or vent about to me over email. Like that's a way my brain can process information more easily. Um, so it's just so interesting that I had that conversation today and then we're talking about mm. this and you brought up digital boundaries as a form of minimalism because, hey, that is an area in which I am not a maximalist. That is an area that I feel really overwhelmed and need to get clear and to edit, you know, to focus on what's important and what's fulfilling. <sighs> I'm really hung up on this how are you thing because I get it too. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if it's like, does it, f- with all the resistance that I feel around how these products are designed, these tools are designed to exploit us, do I really want to be pouring out my vulnerable heart right. and answering that question? Because usually when it comes up, it's like a, I know you're going through something, how are you? It's not a like, hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Right. Yeah. Well, and I just like, I, I want to hear someone's voice. Like, I, you know, I'm not yeah. like really present if we're texting. Yeah. And, I, and it takes me out of my, my life in person that I'm trying to live. If I'm like reading a bunch of texts about, you know, if someone's venting or whatever it is. Like, I, it's just not meaningful connection to me. Or spending too much time on Instagram in general, you know, spending too much too too much time within the app is just I don't like it. I don't want to do that. <laughs> There's this important context that um, that text can kind of bombard you with because you're there logistically for other things, mm-hmm. and then in like you're if you're 
arranging a time with one friend and then in another chat this other friend is having a vulnerable conversation with you it's like multitasking and it feels kind of for, for me it feels like a betrayal yes to yeah like not give that person my full attention Absolutely. and when i think about like the physical parameters of that kind of conversation like if I were in my physical space, I would want to be like curled up in a chair with a blanket and a tea talking to my friend, you know? Exactly. And right. I'm not giving someone my full attention if they're texting me like their life update. That's, that's my reality is I'm not because I'm in the middle of things and I'm, and I would rather get on the phone if, you know, so I can really listen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) <laughs> maybe I'm a digital minimalist or a, or a DMs and texts minimalist. DM, digital minimalist. <laughs> but I am an art supplies, clothes, books, everything else minimalist. <laughs> so I – and that's because I take pleasure in it. I take pleasure in some of the uh, material maximalism. But I am curious whether you have any advice for – any ideas for integrating some of the benefits of minimalism into a maximalist life or maximalist aesthetic <sighs> display your things with joy and care and love mm. yes yeah so you can have as many things as you want just keep them nicely treat them well that makes me happy i'm looking up at yeah. all the art on my wall right now and i'm like smiling at it like hey guys yeah proud of you love yeah. you <laughs> little art pieces <laughs> yeah like keep the dust your frames and keep those spines neat and tidy and exercise your books (laughs) (laughs) i don't know where that came from good advice for all though take them on walks take them to parks (laughs) absolutely (laughs) that's my advice that's really good advice and thank you and it's yeah it's it's uh Gosh, I'm just thinking about how it applies to all areas, our friendships, our art. It really does. Yeah, it does. I'd love to hear what people think of this. Listeners, are you minimalists? Are you maximalists? Yeah, I would love to hear too. I'm so curious because I'm sure we have a full spectrum of, uh, you know, of listeners like the and how they live and how much stuff they have. And I'm, you know, some people are traveling full time. Other people have lived in the same house for 10 or 20 years. So I think there's some really interesting stories that we could collect if our listeners want that and are responding to that. Cause I got to say, I mean, I know that if I was listening to this, I would have a lot of uh, aha moments listening to you, Zandra. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, um, (laughs) and with that, (laughs) <laughs> it has been so wonderful talking to you. And I have to Thanks. ask before we we sign off, this, this has been such a special episode to have you back for. But Sandra, just to distill it down to a message, <laughs> just to simplify it down, for you, uh, what is the art life? Oh, well, this feels like cheating. The art life is distilling it down. Yes. Grace, what is the art life? The art life is making room for what's important. Yes, it is. 
you said that at the beginning and I just really loved that. Hmm. So Zandra, we have talked a little bit today about your TikTok and I mentioned heroin training, your site, your homepage. Um, but for people listening who maybe aren't familiar with you, uh, where can people support your art? Well, those are the places at the moment. And if you're not on TikTok, you can still enjoy my TikTok. I send out newsletters um, every week or so. And you can join my newsletter at herointraining.com slash 123. And that will give you a free download of my ebook, 123 Mini Adventure, and put you on the mailing list where I'll send out links to the best TikToks and my art that I'm creating. Magnificent. I hope we hear from some listeners soon about their thoughts on minimalism versus maximalism or the ways to celebrate both um in different areas i think this could be a really cool uh this could be a really cool campfire episode if other people have stories that they want to share about this so um in the meantime thank you so much for coming back to to talk about this with me i just i really feel like i learned so much and it was just so great to hear you talk about something you're so passionate about too well thank you for the space to do that there's something really special about expressing something that is just part of my life now so I am really grateful for the space to reflect on it and for it to be received so beautifully by you so thank you for all of your thoughtful questions I love being back yay my pleasure all right Zandra it's been wonderful talking to you it is 1.45 a.m. in L.A., which means it is 4.45 a.m. for my East Coast time-adjusted body. It's time for bed. So for my side of the world, it's time for bed. Good night. <laughs> and from my side of the world at 9.46, it's time for coffee. Goodbye. <laughs> Sounds good. Have a good day. <laughs> Bye. Bye. This is The Art Life. You can read more and subscribe to our newsletter at www.theartlife.show or send letters to The Art Life, Care of Grace Gordon, P.O. Box number 1193, Hollywood, California, 90078. You can email us at theartlifeshow at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Art Life Show. Our theme music is The Stream by Rory. Thank you for being part of The Art Life.